Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. I realized, you know, if you create the right support system around yourself, then you can do that. Like if you let your team know that why you're stepping out a bit, you're learning something and then you come back to it, it is doable. Three, two, one. My name is Espri Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hey, this is Adam Marks. I'm a tech founder, writer, and consultant, and I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about three and a half years now. Esprit does a phenomenal job spotlighting female entrepreneurs from all over the world. And one thing I love about the show is listening to their stories and how they've built their companies and organizations. We should always be pushing for representation and equality. Every time we go into the boardroom, every time we look for co-founders, every time we look to hire employees for our companies. So support representation and equality, support the Women in Tech podcast, Follow me at AdamMarks13 on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And remember to always look for the orange sunglasses. To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's getpodcastlisteners.com. Today's personal spot is more of a warning. There has been this agency spamming all of our podcast guests. Their name is Oscar Hamilton. If you receive a message from Oscar Hamilton, they're just trying to get thousands of dollars out of you. I have no relation to Oscar Hamilton. I've never talked to Oscar Hamilton. It's gross and disgusting. They've been sending out mass messages to all of our guests. They've obviously been scraping the internet. It's a huge shame, especially when I put so much heart and soul behind championing all of you and this gross company just thinks they could use some quote-unquote growth hack to scrape the internet, send insincere emails to a bunch of people suggesting they're interested in a quote-unquote collaboration when really they're just trying to get thousands of dollars out of you. So I've posted this on all my social and I'm hoping no one becomes like a victim of this kind of false marketing, false communication. And it really just saddens me the lack of integrity that some people feel has to be done to grow their business. There's so many authentic ways to communicate with others. I'm not against reaching out to a lot of people. If you reach out to people in a genuine way, I'm not against helping elevate people on podcasts if you do it in an integrity-driven way. But, you know, to suggest that 
you listen to an episode when you haven't listened to an episode because how could you possibly listen to over 700 episodes and send that same email to every single person? So that's just an obvious like lie. And then to say that you have a collaboration in mind, which is also not true, just really breaks my heart. It's really, I don't know, it really messes with me. So please, please disregard any emails from them. I don't know them. I don't endorse them. I don't care for them. And all I want to do with every single thing that we produce is champion and celebrate you. You do not need to pay to be on podcasts. All right. Enjoy the next episode. amazing women in tech around the world over a hundred countries strong and today i bring to you the lovely neha hello hi Esprey. hi to kick things off why don't we start out tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do absolutely hello everyone i am neha bansal and i am a product manager at google working specifically on google analytics intelligence And before we started recording, you had this really cool line that I'm nerding out over. And you don't think it's as cool as I think, but I'm pretty geeked on it. What you said, I am very passionate about. I'm very passionate about measurement and marketing. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And you work in analytics and with numbers and data and all that good stuff. Yes. Has math always been a passion of yours? It sort of has. Yes. I remember growing up, that was always the easiest uh, subject for me. And I would sit for hours solving math problems, even if there was no test the next day. So sometimes my parents had to like really pull the books away from me. And so I I did always did well at math. And then even uh, when I did my graduation, my undergrad in India, I studied economics and statistics. So that was a lot of fun as well. And then coming, uh, moving on to my job, I worked as in the analytics industry, serving financial services for five years. And then I went to an MBA program. So that was also highly data driven. So yeah, it's, it's been with me for a long time. When was it that you identified as being interested in tech? Because math isn't necessarily like I'm into tech. You could just straight up, you know, want to be a mathematician. So when was it that the tech world specifically drew your attention? Right. To be very, very honest with you, this happened during the MBA program. When Really? Uh, that? No way. Like not until your MBA? Yes, not until my MBA because... Until then, I was all about banking and financial services and serving my clients uh, using analytics, and that was it. But uh, yeah, coming into the MBA program, I learned about that there is this amazing career path as a product manager where you can actually use data to build stuff. And that got me really excited. And I said, all right, so I want to try my hands on this. So in the summer, I went to Israel and worked for a startup and help them build their data-driven up data analytics platform. And that's when I got to mix my passion for data with my newly found capabilities to build stuff and then take it from there. Wait, so when you entered your MBA program, what did you picture at that time you would be like? What role were you sort of like prepping for professionally? Professionally, at that time, I was preparing to transition from a tier two consulting firm to a tier one consulting firm. Right now, I'm absolutely ashamed to say that. Why? No. 
you know, that's what a lot of people who come into the MBA program do because they don't know any better. But I was very lucky that as I got into the program, I got a lot of mentors and my knowledge horizon really broadened and I learned a lot about different career opportunities. So thankfully, I didn't go that go down that route. But to be honest with you, going into the program, I was all about doing consulting again. What aspect of the program? Was there a guest speaker or was there a homework or like what aspect of the program was focused on tech and startups to the point that you're like, wait, hold on, let me pivot my career trajectory. And then eventually you're going to find this opportunity in Israel. But before we get to that opportunity, what was that initial thing that even made you pivot? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing that really made me pivot was uh, for one of our tech classes, we, our professor. Oh, you had a tech class within your MBA. Oh, a lot of it. Yeah. So I focused okay. on technology as my curriculum, which is actually fairly new. Uh, a lot of MBA schools provide technology. You can specialize in technology in the la- over the last four or five years. That's been a great option. So I focus a lot on technology. And uh, one of uh, for one of my classes, our professor, who himself had uh, launched and sold a fantastic company, invited a speaker who talked about his journey of starting a company and how he built this amazing product. And, you know, uh, that got me really dreamy-eyed. And I was like, wow, I c- can I do this myself? And that's when uh, I got really inspired by this idea of building things uh, on my own. And I started uh, taking a lot more classes in the engineering school where I built things together with engineers at the engineering school and did lots of hackathons. And I realized I love this thing. So that's, yeah, that got me interested in doing an internship on that domain. And I know most of you know what a hackathon is, but just in case for those few who don't know what a hackathon is, can you walk us through what a hackathon is, Neha? Oh, absolutely. Yes. So uh, the hackathons that I have done are usually 24-hour sprints where you work in a team to solve a problem, where the goal is that you don't sleep for 24 hours and you start with a vision, a strategy, and you think of how you can solve the problem quickly. And over the 24 hours, you build a prototype and then you end with a presentation to a panel of judges to share your solution that you came up with. And if you win, you get a slice of pizza at the end. So that's fun. And then sometimes, like, I know that there was Startup Weekend is a whole hackathon organization. And uh, there was a company in Los Angeles. I mean, there's probably several stories like this where Ashton Kutcher walked in during the hackathon and ended up investing in one of the hackathon companies or one of the hackathon projects. It's not even a company at that point. It's just this, like, random project that someone's presenting that they just created over the weekend. And here you go. Ashton Kutcher's investing in it. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. I think Startup Weekend is a really good, um, for those of you who want to get involved in hackathons, it's a really good entry point. If you know nothing about that world, I think they make it really simple just to get involved. Do you know any others that make it pretty simple? Others that I've heard of, the Columbia University, which is where I went, has its own hackathon as well. It's called Impact. That was great. And then there is also hackathons that uh, are, there are lots of hackathons in the Bay Area, including Google has one. But yeah, I I don't have more specific names right now. No. And and then so you go from this hackathon. So now you're getting like super immersed. And the other thing I'd like to point out that you brought up in your story is a speaker came in. Do you happen to remember the speaker's name? No. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. I have to look it up, but yeah. It's okay. So speaker comes in. And I think that we forget sometimes when, you know, we're asked to speak and, and we speak at events and, and sometimes we're like, oh, do we really want to do another event? You know, we're in all these states of nines as speakers. The kind of 
amazing impact that we have on people's lives that we'll never find out about. Like Niha's whole life changed <laughs> because this person came into her MBA class and shared their story. And that person probably doesn't know that they changed her life so much, right? Yes, that is so, so true. And I wish there was a way for people who get impacted to share it back with the speaker that, hey, look you, what, what magic you did to me, right? That would be fantastic. I think even more than that, it's this principle that I believe in called silent mentorship, where how we show up on a day-to-day basis, like that's kind of what I feel even this this Women in Tech podcast is. It's how we show up on a day-to-day basis. We don't know who we're impacting, but we live our lives in a sense of collaboration and vulnerable sharing so that we're a positive force for those who surround us. And we may never know, and that's okay as long as we're showing up in a dynamic way. Does that make sense? I know it's a little, it's a little uh, sappy, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, totally. It makes complete sense. And I think uh, it's uh, to your point about just showing up and being yourself every day and you just don't know what impact you're doing, but you are sending out a lot of that positive energy out. Yes, it's, uh, it's something great that we ought each of us do every day and we don't even realize that. Like one of my friends at a huge tech company went from working as a, a wedding planner, no tech background, to a new startup. I'm not going to say which company for privacy reasons, to a new startup, one of the most significant tech companies now. And she built the team. She self-taught and built the customer support team from zero to where it's at now. That's insane. And she is very afraid to give talks. And I'm like, you can't not give a talk because your experience is amazing and so inspirational. It is selfish of you not to share your story. Like, you know, anyway, I'm I'm on a tangent, but I just, I think it's so cool that the speaker came in and, okay, so you're inspired by the speaker and you, and you do this hackathon and you start to pivot to, into a new direction from consultancy into like wanting to be a part of the tech world. Eventually you'll find product management and this opportunity in Israel really helps you to that. How do you discover this opportunity in Israel with a startup and why Israel? Like you, where were you at the time you were, you were at Columbia. So Yes. So at that time I was in New York and um, what happened was because I had worked in New York for a couple of years before starting the MBA program, I told myself that if I want to do something new, I would rather do it somewhere outside the States just because when else will I get three months of my life to live and work somewhere, somewhere abroad. So I started reaching out to a lot of startups in different uh, uh, places like Israel, in uh, South America. Uh, to your question, why Israel? Israel, at that time, I learned, is uh, actually a huge, huge startup hub, which it still is. So it's amazing how many startups come out of Israel, right? A lot of successful companies like Via, are, like in, in, based out of New York, are from have Israeli founders. So at that point, there's this company called Inside IL, who th- their goal is to match U.S. students, American students, with companies uh, in Israel so Wait, that they what? can. Yeah, that's in, Insight IL. Is that yes. what you said? Yes. And is it Insight IL dot, like, do yeah. you know? It's uh, Insight IL dot, once, I'll just put it up. It's a uh, dot org, I think. Yeah. What Inside a cool, IL. talk about org. a cool resource. All of, all of you should be Googling right now. <laughs> all right. Inside <laughs> IL dot org. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So you can literally go on the website and just see list of Israeli companies that are hiring interns. 
And uh, I applied to a few of those companies. Lots, uh, a lot of them responded, had conversations, and turned out that uh, it was a great. I matched really well with Weisberger, which is a beverage analytics company. Basically, what they do is they measure beer, the, the quality of beer that flows out of taps at breweries. So it was pretty cool. And I decided, yep. But that was it? You just like enter in your name and phone number on Inside IL, you get hired as an intern and you fly to Israel? (laughs) (laughs) How does it work? (laughs) In between, there is something called interview process. So once I applied, of course, uh, so the funny thing is, you know, about these online applications is they don't often work. So what I did was, even though I applied online, I went on LinkedIn to check if there was someone that I knew who would be remotely connected to Inside IL. And turns out you would be very surprised to know that one of their investors is an alum of Columbia Business School. Oh. So immediately I get coffee with the alum. I, I send him a ping. Hey, I need to talk to you like today. <laughs> and he's like, okay, let's wait until the weekend. And then I get coffee with him, meet him and tell him that how excited I am about Weisberger. And I want to work there. And he, you know, helps me refer to the CEO. And then they do a lot of interviews, go through like, I think I had three or four interviews and then I, I got hired ultimately. But having that uh, you know, connection is definitely helpful to get your foot in the door. And can you walk us through like how do you, not to be too personal and of course don't answer the question if it's not right for you, but how do you fund it? You're, you just got your MBA and so you, had, you have your, your loans there and now you have your plane ticket and you need a place to stay. What do you put into place if you don't mind me asking? Like how do you have that experience? Absolutely. So the good thing is, uh, I, it was a paid role. It wasn't a free internship. So they were ah. paying me well enough to be able to fund for all of my stay and flights. And when I came back, I came back net cash flow positive, including all the traveling that I did within Israel oh. while I was there. So, okay, even I was not aware that there's, I don't know if lucrative is the right word. I think it is the right word in this case. Even I wasn't aware there's lucrative internships. I thought all internships were either no pay or minimal pay or class credit. Or Can you tell us more about what paid internships look like? Because maybe some of us would like to explore that side of the world. Like I'm really surprised. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. You know, when I started looking for internships, I was just to get to understand the technology world, I started reaching out to startups in New York itself and a few in San Francisco. And it was surprising to me that those were the startups that did not want to pay because they thought that, you know, they have a big pipeline, there are lots of people who want to work. If you don't want to work, don't want to work without pay, then it's totally fine. You know, that's the approach they had. But in Israel, it's different. Israelis, uh, in general, they value MBA talent a lot especially uh, given that they are very good from on the engineering side, but they know that they can take help on the sales and marketing and analytics side. So that's why they really value students coming all the way from America to Israel to spend their summers. And I think that's why they were willing to pay for it. Part of the internship was paid for by a Jewish federation that's based out of America. And the goal is to give, uh, you know, to spread awareness about how Israel is an amazing startup ecosystem. So that's why I think the companies were able to afford folks uh, to travel from here to go and work there. 
I think it's such great insight for everybody to know that these are options. One last question about that. What is the main difference between a paid internship and a job? If I had to answer the own question, I would guess that you would say that that had a time limit. You were there for a three-month program and it, it had an end date, whereas a job is hopefully ongoing. Is that accurate? That would be accurate, I would say. Absolutely. Yes. And along with this comes a few other caveats as well. Like uh, as an international student in the United States, if I'm looking for a job, I would be looking for a job at a company that can sponsor my work visa as well. Whereas for an internship, it is a very short duration. So that was not really a big concern at that point. As long as I have like a short term visa, I'm fine. Right. So that's something that uh, international students care about a lot. And then uh, besides the length of the internship, your pay scale goes uh, up significantly between an internship and a job. So that's another important aspect. Yeah, and in some cases, from nothing to something. (laughs) 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 Okay, so you have this internship and you get this experience and that's where you learn the world of being a product manager? Yes. Yep. I joined the data analytics team and then I got really excited. I was already excited about PMing. And then I met uh, Noam, who was the PM at Weisberg at that time. And she was an amazing mentor to me. And I helped her with a few uh, projects on the PM side. And that was uh, a fantastic experience for me in the summer. And what did you learn from her? What are a couple of the takeaways, lessons that you learned in that mentorship experience? One thing that has stood out for me, and it has also helped me a lot in my interviews afterwards, was the need for prioritization. You know, going in as a PM, you would probably think that, oh, I can build everything and make my users very, very happy. But spending the summer with her, I learned that, uh, no, you have to prioritize because each one of us have limited amount of resources. And uh, how do you do that prioritization as a PM was a skill that I learned from her. So she uses this amazing framework called RISE, which stands for Reach, Impact, Confidence, and Effort. And uh, so she helped me, taught me about that framework and how to implement it in making day-to-day decisions. And that was pretty cool. Wait, let's say it again. So RICE, reach, impact, what was it, C? Confidence and effort. Com- no no wonder I forgot. <laughs> That's what I lack <laughs> half the time is confidence. So reach, impact, confidence, effort, RICE. Yes. That's cool. And then what does that look like? If you could just cite maybe one or two examples, implementing RICE into a day-to-day work responsibility. Absolutely. So let's say if you want to send in a fix for a bug in your product that has been identified recently. So what you would do is you would talk to your cross-functional partners and then try to understand that if you would fix this bug, what would be the reach of it? Reach would mean, let's say for your for my product, it, it could mean number of users that would that I would reach by addressing this problem. Impact would mean what could be the impact on my revenue, what could be the impact on the engagement time, whatever is the core metric for my business. Confidence, which is my favorite one, it basically means that even if I spent the time fixing this bug, what is the con- how confident am I that it will actually be fully addressed? So sometimes, you know, a problem could be so complex technically that we engineers don't feel confident that it will actually be fully addressed. So you have to have that confidence, uh, an estimation of confidence there. And finally, E stands for effort. Effort is just about uh, the team effort. So it can be engineering. Usually it's engineering effort. Like, are you talking about two weeks, three weeks? 
how many how much time is that so based once you have an understanding of those four aspects then you can prioritize different activities that you should be doing next rice do i love it it's so funny because i'm glad i asked because when you said rice i absorbed it in a more social impact kind of way like reach how many people can you reach impact are the people you're reaching are you having the right impact on the people that you're reaching do you have confidence in you know sharing your message how much effort is it taking to do so (laughs) (laughs) works well too in in the social impact context (laughs) but I love that you explained it out because this is the women in tech podcast it's not the social impact podcast um okay so what was her name again your mentor her name is Noam Noam yep cool shout out to Noam you have this experience and then you come back to the States, right? And then what happens? So I come back to the States and uh, I it, it's so funny. I had so much FOMO of uh, not being in Israel that I tried a lot for a few months that can I go back to Israel after my MBA and still be able to work there and, you know, pay off my loans and all of those things. But I had to accept after a point that, okay, that's not going to happen really. So then... Uh, I get into the campus recruiting drive. So as part of that, as I told you, you know, as an international student, uh, although my goal was to get into product management, the reality is that there are very few jobs out there that would hire international students who also require a work sponsorship for product management roles. And that's why I said, okay, let me diversify a bit and recruit for consulting as well. So I did recruit for consulting because just in case I didn't get a PMR, you know, I will not have to go back to India because it's very hard to pay back your MBA loans out of Indian salaries. So that's why I recruited for consulting. I had a consulting offer to work out of New York, which was perfect. And then suddenly Google reached out. Just like, hey, Google. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was more like a friend of mine dropped a referral for me to apply at Google. And I had zero expectations that they would reach out to me, but then they did. And then we did a first round of interview. And then they said, we are sending into the next round, which is an on-site round. And I said, well, I already have this other offer that I need to sign in two weeks. So can you guys finish this process in two weeks? And they were like, yeah, I think we can do it. We can try our best. And they actually finished the whole process in two weeks. And then I had the offer from Google and that was amazing. Now, suddenly I had to choose between two great offers and, uh, I chose Google after talking to a lot of my mentors, like, what should I do? So I chose Google and I'm very glad I did that. I think that's the right match, especially because it's in alignment with what you wanted for yourself. The consultancy was kind of a backup plan. What I really took away from what you just shared is you had these two opportunities, this new opportunity with Google and also this opportunity where you already had an offer and you understood to ask for what you wanted. And I think that that's really important that sometimes we don't ask for what we want because we're afraid we're going to lose it or we're afraid we're going to annoy someone or we're afraid we're going to be a person that somebody doesn't want to work with or inconvenience someone. And you just clearly said, hey, can we speed this up? I love that you asked Google to speed things up. Can you walk us through that process? Was that easy for you or did you have to take a moment to check yourself to say no like were you nervous about asking them to hurry it's funny no one's asked that uh, asked me that before no I was not nervous about asking Google to hurry because you know luckily for me at that point I was on the driving seat so I wasn't nervous at all I was very clear to Google that 
I will not be able to wait for you for too long because as an international, I have to sign an offer. So I'm not going to wait for you if you take forever. So it wasn't uh, tough. Why were you in the driving seat at that point? Like, what about you? Was it that you had your MBA? Like, was it the results that you'd already expressed in other areas of your profession? Like, what gave you, if I may, that kind of leverage? So having another job offer gives you a lot of leverage when you're recruiting, especially in tech. And that's something I have advised everybody I've met after that day, that uh, it's very, very helpful to line up a few offers. And then that helps you negotiate really well, not just in terms of interview timelines, but even down the line when you're negotiating your salaries, your position, so on and so forth. So having another competitive offer that's as good is beneficial. So you had these two opportunities, product management and consultancy, and you still were really dedicated to exploring both wholeheartedly and you sought out your mentors. What kind of questions did you ask your network in order to help you make that decision? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one interesting thing was, although I knew that I had, uh, I wanted to do product management and there was a fear in my mind that, uh, will I be a good product manager? And the reason for that fear was, uh, before, in my prior life, I had done consulting for five and a half years, and I knew I was good at it. I knew the tips and tricks of the trade. I knew how to work around in that environment. But I was really afraid that, will I be able to shine in Google and as a product manager or not? And that really led me to asking other people to give me reasons for why I should not work at Google. And it's very funny. I'd never seen that side of myself as a person. And I, then that's, at that point, it was my husband who really called it out and said that you need to stop. Like, you will do great <laughs> as a PM. Just stop it. Like, you're great at learning. You know how to, to train yourself. And you'll be fine, you know. And uh, even my dad at that point said something that uh, if it's not scary, it's not fun. And I still remember that. And I often use that, uh, you know, since then, when I have to make decisions that if it's not scary, it's not fun. So that's why I said, you know what, I'm going to go with Google ultimately. Where's the boundary between or the deciding point between, you know, when intuition protects you and it's like this gut feeling and you stay away from a bad situation because your intuition told you like something feels wrong versus it's scary because like it's scary because I'm uncertain, I'm lacking confidence, but it is actually the right choice to make. How do you know the difference between the two of fear to protect yourself versus fear holding you back? What I do is I call this the worst case analysis, right? Whenever I have to make two decisions, I always think about what's the worst that can go wrong in either of these decisions, right? So that's what uh, helps me think about whether this is just a fear of failure or it's just a fear of things not going well. So in this particular case, because I thought of, if I took the Google offer, what's the worst that can happen? I can always go back to consulting, right? So that wasn't the worst thing that can possibly happen. And that gave me a lot of courage. So yeah, I highly suggest people like thinking about the worst possible things. Sometimes when you cannot define what's the worst that can happen, I think that's when people have to depend on their gut feelings. I think, you know, there are much more tougher decisions in life. Like choosing between two job offers is not really one of those uh, tough decisions, I would say, to be honest with you. Yeah, there are other very important decisions in life where you'd rather go by your gut. 
That's so cool. And now you've been with Google close to two years, you mentioned, or is it just over two years? Around there. Around there. Hanging out somewhere around there. And you absolutely love what you do. You're, I mean, it seems to me that you're absolutely passionate about your job. That is absolutely correct. You know, it's very funny sometimes that when you start a job, often the job description deviates from what you actually end up doing at the company. And for me, I think... I'm very uniquely positioned that I'm exactly doing what I thought a product manager would do at a company. And what I do is just so satisfying because I'm helping a lots of mom and pop shops understand how to improve their businesses and, you know, how to get more out of their data without them having to do much. Like what if, even if you don't understand analytics, the numbers, I'm producing insights for them without them having to do anything. They just need to open the app and read them. So it is a very, very gratifying role that I have right now. And yes, I'm very excited to do what I'm doing right now. And offline, I don't know if you want to share it, but you can if you want to. You are really geeked on a product you recently worked on. You're just super <laughs> proud of it. Do you want to share with everybody a little bit about what that is? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Okay. You guys should see her face. She gets so giddy. It's awesome. (laughs) Go ahead. Talk your nerd talk. (laughs) All right, guys. So in uh, last quarter, which was in December, my team and I, we shipped out two amazing features as part of Google Analytics app plus web. One of them is called Insights and the other is Search. So as part of Insights, basically it's what I just described that uh, while you're watching the game on Sunday evening, we, our machines are analyzing your data to identify something that's interesting and meaningful to you and your business. And if yes, we surface that in a beautiful dashboard for you. All you have to do is get on the dashboard and read it. That's it. And then the other feature is search. Search, because we are Google, we had to build in search inside Google Analytics as well. So you can use search not just to navigate to different reports, but you can also search for things like your property ID or any kind of admin configuration. And you can also look for data-related questions. So for example, if you want to know how many users do you have in Android versus iOS this week versus last week, you can simply type that as a question or even use voice on your Google Analytics app to ask that question and we'll give you the answer right there and then. So those are the two products that I'm very proud of. (laughs) She's like raising her hands. You guys, so you know all those commercials that say, hey, Google, this takes it to a whole nother level. Hey, Google, tell me how many people checked out my podcast this month. (laughs) Um, It's so so rad. What I think is so interesting is I I have a friend who's one of the head people at Disney, right? And in a lot of the startup and entrepreneur events, it's always like the job is the bad guy and the entrepreneur is the good guy. And I never understood that because I think what the good guy is, is do you like what you do? Like that's the good guy or are you miserable? Because if you like what you do, you're winning. And if you're miserable, maybe it's time to like reflect and rethink what different path you can take. And I'm telling you, I wish all of you could see her face. She lights up. (laughs) She (laughs) loves what she is doing. And so I think it's just wonderful. What is one huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome in your journey? I'm just trying to think of something more recent because there are lots and lots of obstacles, right, Uh, that uh, me and my uh, husband here have gone through. I would say one of the recent obstacles have uh, have been about learning new things. So a little bit context. As a PM, 
really, my definition of a PM is someone who does nothing but is responsible for everything. So when we... (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I feel like I just fell over with that description. (laughs) But that is so So true, So heavy. (laughs) I'm responsible for everything, but I'm not often doing anything because a PM builds a solid team around uh, herself, which comprises of engineers, sales, UX designers, marketing, finance, customer support, like every person you can possibly think of, right? And you have to steer the ship in the right direction. Now, when I joined this, the, my team in Google Analytics, we were not funded from all sides. So for example, I did not have enough UX designers on my team. In fact, I had zero UX designers on my team at that point, but I could not let the work stop. So I had to roll up my socks and say, okay, let's teach, learn design. So what I did was I started reading a lot. I read like four books in a month about design and design you thinking. You taught yourself design? Yeah, I mean, Stop. I had to do at that point. I, I wouldn't say I'm great at it, but now I can talk the language and you know I understand design much better than I did before. So I read a lot of books. I took a lot of courses online. Uh, did listen to a lot of amazing podcasts from designers and started understanding what that means. And I trained myself to learn Sketch uh, and uh, Envision, which are some of the design tools. And that helped me unblock my team to keep moving forward, right? So that uh, ability, that willingness to drop everything and get into a learning mode is very important as a PM. And initially there was some hesitance. I felt it because I was like, wait, I have to do so many things. I can't focus on just one thing a lot. I realized, you know, if you create the right support system around yourself, then you can do that. Like if you let your team know that why you're stepping out a bit, you're learning something and then you'll come back to it, it is doable. So that that was just one example, but there were lots of other things as well, like understanding um, how marketing works or how do how does a lot of different technologies work? Like every quarter, I go back to the learning board and train myself in something new. When you're about to learn something new, sometimes it's really intimidating. Is it not intimidating for you? And if it is, how do you get past that initial step of like, I can do this. I'm smart enough. I will figure it out. It is absolutely, Esprit. It's, it, it is very intimidating at the beginning. Like to give you an example, we were uh, brainstorming different uh, ML models that we could use for enhancing precision of the search results. Now that I've been in it, I feel like, oh, I understand this topic because I've been working on this for more than half a year. But at the beginning, it was intimidating to be in a room with Google engineers and be able to understand, even just understand what they're saying. So I think what I did, I learned after you know speaking to a lot of other folks and listening to some talks is about breaking things down to smaller parts. So for example, what I did was I just signed up for one ML course while I at the beginning. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to go attend this class. And then I did that. Then I signed up for another bigger workshop. And then I did some more courses. And then I gave some more tests and stuff. So slowly, slowly, you graduate. So it's like a ladder. Like you, yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, you even created a program, right? Is is this a program you created or that you access? um, Guide the grad. Say it again. Guide the grad. Yeah. Did you create this program? Yes, I did. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So as I started working at Google, I had a lot of outreach from my network to help uh, share my experience uh, working at Google and just how to transition into PM as a career path. And that's when I realized that uh, I wasn't being able to respond to every single request, but I did want to do that. 
So I decided to create a website and allow people to sign up on the website with their emails. And then one weekend every month, I open up my calendar to the public and then people can just, uh, I send an email to everyone saying that, hey, I'm available this upcoming weekend. If you'd like to chat, please feel free to set up time on my calendar. And then people can do that on their own. And then I have like around uh, 16 calls that weekend. So it's pretty crazy. You know, what's interesting. I haven't done in a while, but in the past, I too set up something called community hours because what I found was all month long people to ask, can you check out my app? Can I get advice? Can you go to coffee? And if I were to do all that stuff all the time, I would never be able to grow a business or get any of my work done. So I ended up setting dedicated community hours because I really do enthusiastically love serving the community, but I love serving the community from a place of abundance where like my cup is full and I'm giving you the overflow, not from I'm totally run down. And And so I learned that what you did, like setting up that framework, that structure on here's hours I have allocated because that works within my schedule and allows me all the space to do all the other things I need to, you know, accelerate in life really helps. And I know you created this formal program, but I think it's an interesting note that everybody who wants to help others don't feel that you have to give all of yourself to everybody all the time. You could set up boundaries that work within your schedule so that you could happily give. Absolutely. I think you've summarized that really well. Have you ever been on a podcast before? I have. I have. But in fact, uh, I've been uh, on a podcast uh, twice. But you know what? One of them was me and my friends. So we did a podcast. (laughs) I I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) It was me and my friends. Uh, We wanted to share about our experience getting into product management. And uh, the other one was sort of similar format, but it was more of a video interview offline. So maybe, you know, Esprit would be safe to say this is my first podcast interview. (laughs) Well, I'm hoping there's companies out there or whoever it is that utilizes the Women in Tech podcast to find the most incredible women in the world and that all of you being interviewed on this show will just be on a zillion shows thereafter. Like everyone just is like, please, they all look up your LinkedIn and they're like, please be on my show too. That would just be amazing. (laughs) Plus one to that. I fully agree. (laughs) Speaking of LinkedIn, how can people connect with you? Is LinkedIn a good way? Yeah, LinkedIn is definitely a good way. I'm very active on LinkedIn. And uh, I, when people reach out to me, I definitely make sure I respond to it, even if it's like after a little bit of a delay, but I will do that. And can you spell your name for everybody? Absolutely. So my first name is Neha. It's N-E-H-A. And my last name is Bansal. It's B-A-N-S-A-L. Okay, one last question to wrap it all up. It's the easiest question. Do you have a favorite book? Could be personal, professional. Absolutely, I do. So last year I read this book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. It's it's uh, by the founders of Andrew Horson uh, and the Venture Capital Fund. Yeah, it's amazing. It's one of my favorite books. It uh, really talks a lot about uh, how uh, the author built his own company and all of the hard things that he had to go through it as part of his journey. I love it. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. If you want to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember, go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. Womenintechvip.com takes you straight there. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. 
Hello everyone, this is Neha Bansal, product manager at Google, working on building amazing measurement products for marketers based out of Mountain View, California, and you are listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, with help from Janice Geronimo, edited by Corey Jennings, production and voiceover by Adam Carroll, and music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.